The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 84 of Some Assembly Required, your podcasting adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 79, Lo the Lethal Legion. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by John Buscema, inks by Tom Palmer, letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in August of 1970. Starting off with our cover, I am once again mixed on this cover. Conceptually, I really like the layout and the overall design of the cover. The coloring is pretty nice. Honestly, the white background doesn't bother me all that much because there's very little of it, though a slightly different background color might have worked a little bit better with M'Baku on the cover and his white gorilla fur. But unfortunately here, the pencils and the inks look pretty rushed. They're lacking in detail. Almost all of the villains have the exact same sneering expression and the same basic square-jawed facial design. It probably wouldn't be as noticeable, but on four out of the five characters, the nose, mouth, and chin are the only portions of the face exposed. This only serves to highlight the fact that they are all the same. If more detail had been used to differentiate, then maybe it would have worked better, but unfortunately it doesn't. When we take a look at the Avengers who are stuck in that hourglass, they're even less detailed, and Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are particularly blobby-looking. In Avengers Mansion, reserve members Iron Man and Thor arrive, responding to the emergency summons of their fellow Avengers. The pair can only surmise that something major must have happened based on the grim expressions on everyone's faces. With pleasantries out of the way, Captain America declares that the team must stand together or else they will almost certainly fall. Noting that Black Panther is missing, Cap recalls the attack he suffered at the hands of M'Baku and the solo mission on which Black Panther embarked. Based on the available evidence, the Avengers are forced to conclude that they face not just one villain, but a cabal of such rogues. The opening splash page here is much better, though it does force me to wonder where exactly Thor and Iron Man are coming from. I've always been under the impression that the meeting room for the Avengers was underground, and this makes it look as though they're coming through some kind of skylight or trap door. It's an odd way for these two characters to enter the room. As the book opens, Iron Man makes a remark about Spiro Agnew, and for those of you who don't know, Spiro Agnew was the vice president under Richard Nixon, and for historical placement, this issue was published about two years before the Watergate break-in. So the reality here is that it's more of a commentary on Agnew in general, and not necessarily about his specific criminal behavior or his defense of Nixon. Specifically, with regards to criminal investigations, right about the same time Watergate was going on, it, was, it also came to light that Agnew had been taking construction kickbacks in the late 60s. More than likely, this is a reference to speeches in the 1970 midterm elections, either regarding policy administration in Vietnam or attacks on the administration's opponents. I'd also like to point out that on a couple of occasions here, Captain America refers to Black Panther as their African Avenger. This is not meant as an offensive remark, as T'Challa, the character, is actually from Africa. Conceptually, it's no different than calling someone a European Avenger or an Asian Avenger. 
having said that, I'm not overly comfortable with the repeated references to Black Panther as the African Avenger. It's skirting a line a little bit too closely for my personal tastes. Understanding when the book was written and the intent of the comment, and again, the reality that Black Panther is in fact an actual African native as opposed to an African American, a black person just in the United States, it still strikes a questionable chord. It's similar to the reason, if you've noticed, I keep referring to the character M'Baku and not calling him Manape. I get that that's the name of the character and that it's used throughout the issue, but it's just pushing a line when it comes to derogatory racial terms that I really don't want to continue to tap dance along. Now, before the Avengers can formulate a plan, Captain America opens up the meeting to the rest of the Avengers, and Scarlet Witch points out that Black Panther has recently begun teaching at a local high school, and that classes are about to start. So, quickly donning a disguise, Vision volunteers to go and inform the school's administration that Black Panther's alias, who goes by Luke Charles, will not be in class today. As the Synthesoid departs, Iron Man begins to wonder if the villains that the Avengers assume exist are having a similar meeting in which the fate of the Avengers is being decided. So here I really appreciate the fact that they give only a single panel recap from last issue. I am, however, less impressed that we spend almost a page here and later in the issue a full page addressing Black Panther not being able to teach his classes. If this were a solo Black Panther book, which I will freely admit does not exist this time period, I might be able to go along with this. Unfortunately, it has so little to do with the story, and it's really only used to help force the reveal at the end of the issue, which obviously we will talk about when we get there. Plus, I have to say that every time I see it, Vision wearing a rubber mask is just dumb. It's very Scooby-Doo, fairly juvenile feeling, and I just, I don't enjoy it. Across town, little does Iron Man realize how correct he is. Though they are meeting in a similar fashion, the Lethal Legion fill the room with their contempt for one another, with Grim Reaper melodramatically grandstanding in front of the others. Grim Reaper at this point really attempts to remind the assembled villains that it was he who was responsible for the formation of the team, and even takes things a little bit too far when he claims credit for the capture of Black Panther and Monica Lynn. Of course, M'Baku promptly interrupts Reaper and demands to know why they have yet to kill Black Panther. Grim Reaper responds that it would be much more fitting if all of the Avengers were to die together, and then proceeds to give orders to the rest of the team in preparation for ambushing the Avengers in their mansion. And with that, the villains depart. Good Lord Almighty, I absolutely love how incredibly scenery-chewing and dialed to 11 Grim Reaper is in this scene. He is almost the literal definition of a melodramatic villain here. He is so over-the-top and gloriously indulgent that I can't help but love it. On top of that, it doesn't hurt that the art is spectacular. Grim Reaper uses language like maudling mouthings. It's so, so good. His character is, I mean, obviously literally a cartoon villain, but he's such a cartoon villain. It's so funny and it's so enjoyable. This is like early Magneto where he is just over the top grandstanding, making these amazing evil proclamations. I can't get enough of it. 
Now, having said that, Grim Reaper is taking credit for a lot of things, and I'm not really convinced that they happened the way that Grim Reaper thinks they did, especially given the fact that his grasp of reality is pretty tenuous at best. Certainly the melodramatic actions lead us towards that path, and we'll get some more inkling of that later in this issue, and then through his later appearances in Avengers, we realize just how unglued Grim Reaper really is. Now here, it's pretty odd, but it seems like M'Baku is the most rational and cunning of the group. This is a little bit different than what we saw in his first appearance, and I really enjoy the depth that is being added to this character. Also, didn't M'Baku already crush the Black Panther statue in the last issue? Like, we see Grim Reaper pick up the statue and crush it, but I'm almost certain that happened last issue. Like, I got, I went back and looked, and, I mean, that's what I saw. So, like, do they have more than one set? Is this, like, do they each have a set? Do they each get to, like, crush it? Is this, like, a, a group therapy kind of effort? I don't know, but I want to know. I also want a set of Golden Avenger statues that I can I can also crush. I want to be a part of this. I want to crush Avengers along with the villains. Can I do that? Is that a thing? Now, shockingly, the rest of the Lethal Legion here takes orders extremely well. Far better than I would have expected knowing several of these villains. When we've seen them in past appearances, they really don't do well with getting bossed around. Now, again, maybe it's because of Grim Reaper or the situation that they find themselves in, but they're really a little bit more passive. In, in many ways, they are a lot more set dressing to M'Baku and Grim Reaper's plan. Almost the moment Grim Reaper leaves the room, the force field imprisoning Black Panther and Monica Lynn disappears. Not waiting for an explanation to the fortuitous event, Black Panther smashes his way out of the restraints and begins to scour the base for a transmitter in order to warn the Avengers of the imminent attack. Managing to contact his teammates, he informs the Avengers of a Prometheus Priority Alert. Now, remember that term, Prometheus Priority, because it's going to come to play later in the issue, and I'll try and explain some of the deeper meaning behind it when we get there. Now, Black Panther really should realize at this point that everything is just a little bit too convenient for this to have happened by chance. Force fields don't tend to fail the second the villain walks out of the room without a reason, if you follow me. I do appreciate the fact that they completely skipped the rehash of the villain's plan. It does make for a slightly awkward jump, but it's also way better than trying to repeat several pages that I have just read. That would probably aggravate me significantly more than a slightly awkward moment while my brain plays catch up. So just as Black Panther finishes explaining the situation to the Avengers, his transmission is cut off by Grim Reaper. Unknown to the Avengers, Reaper had set him up and allowed him to escape and contact the Avengers as part of the master plan. While Black Panther lands pummeling blows on Grim Reaper, the deadly villain reveals that he's been training in preparation for this day, and to back up his word, Grim Reaper then unexpectedly gasses Black Panther and Monica Lynn into unconsciousness. Oh look, I was right. It was too convenient. Okay, I'm impressed that Grim Reaper has had the foresight to prepare for this encounter as well as he did. Obviously, he's learned from his mistakes the last time he faced off against Black Panther and was very intentional not to make the same mistakes. He was able to take Black Panther's punches. He had a plan ready to go that didn't involve a physical fight with Black Panther. He had another way of taking him down because Black Panther's the better fighter. In this case, they gas the heroes. And as you'll see, gassing the heroes is a recurring theme through this issue. 
Taking a momentary diversion at Andrew Jackson High School, Vision arrives to complete his mission. Although he successfully covers for Black Panther in his absence, his visage isn't quite as convincing as he believed, and his chilling, inhuman voice leaves the secretary both haunted and flustered. So here, I was thinking that Vision was going to go and play substitute teacher, and I could almost get behind that. Like, if it were properly written, maybe by somebody like Scotty Young. I realize Scotty Young's an, an artist, but in his style, Vision as a substitute teacher, especially early Vision like this, who doesn't really get people, could be really funny. I don't think this era of Marvel comics would necessarily do it very well, but I'd be willing to give it a try at least. But instead, all he does is tell the secretary that Black Panther won't be in. He literally could have done that over the phone, and then he wouldn't have had to leave his teammates, and he would have been able to be involved in fighting the villains. Because, as we see here in a moment, in the sewers beneath Avengers Mansion, Goliath and Scarlet Witch begin to search for the villains that they know to be lurking there. Unfortunately for them, the pair of Power Man and Swordsman are waiting and use a high-intensity light beam to blind the heroic duo. Although Power Man is able to take advantage of Goliath's momentary disability, Scarlet Witch uses Swordsman's voice to locate him and rain down hex bolts on him. As Goliath regains his sight, he's able to turn the tables on Power Man, and the villains find themselves on the verge of defeat until, once again, Swordsman gasses the heroes. Right, this is the second time we're gassing heroes. Given that they know roughly where the villains should be, Scarlet Witch and Goliath are pretty easily ambushed. Also, this is not necessarily a pairing I would have put together. They don't really seem to complement each other's skills, either offensively or defensively. And of the Avengers teams that they could field based on the current lineup, this really does strike me as the most vulnerable team. It's a little bit odd because of how big Goliath is, but at the same time, he frequently gets taken down and he's extremely impulsive and doesn't think things through. Now, I do appreciate here that Scarlet Witch doesn't go all helpless on us like she normally does, and instead she uses her senses and some training in obvious common sense in order to deal a pretty significant blow to Swordsman. And right up until the moment the two are gassed, it's really Scarlet Witch's actions that keep the two from being overwhelmed. Elsewhere, Captain America and Quicksilver explore the power station that provides power to Avengers Mansion when they suddenly find themselves under attack from Umbaku and the Living Laser. While Cap and Umbaku square off in a rematch of their earlier encounter, the Living Laser attempts to demolish Quicksilver. Unable to keep up with Quicksilver, however, Living Laser gets lucky when debris from his attack manages to trip up Quicksilver, removing him from the fight. Cap, on the other hand, is overwhelmed when Umbaku uses some damaged equipment to shatter the hydraulic generators behind Cap, nearly drowning the Star Spangled Avenger. Cap and Quicksilver, on the other hand here, are a great pairing. And I think it's really cool to see Cap and M'Baku get a rematch. Again, though, as good as Captain America is, he's not only outgunned by Umbako in general, in this particular moment, he's also outsmarted. Cap thinks he's being really clever and ducks to avoid M'Baku's attack, but that's exactly what he wants, and that's when the hydraulic generator behind Cap gets smashed and Cap almost gets drowned. Living Laser, on the other hand, adds basically nothing to this fight, except for the fact that his powers look really cool, and, you know, I mean, that's something. In the end, he gets lucky, and even he admits to that. And there is something to be said for luck. I think it's Napoleon who said he'd rather have his generals be lucky. Same idea. 
Returning to their lair, the Lethal Legion imprisons the disabled Avengers within a mammoth hourglass. The hourglass is then slowly filled with toxic vapors as Grim Reaper watches excitedly, vengeance for the death of his brother so close at hand. As the vapors continue to collect, Power Man returns, dragging Vision along with him. The Legionnaires decide to throw him in with the others, hoping he would also die. So now we're going to go gas five Avengers and Monica Lynn in order to hopefully kill them all off. Again, gassing heroes, big theme this issue. Along with bringing Vision, Power Man returns with secret files about each of the Avengers. As Grim Reaper reads the files, he discovers that Vision's brain patterns are based on those of his deceased brother, Wonder Man. Panicking and terrified of losing his brother yet again, Grim Reaper smashes open the hourglass, saving the heroes. As Vision crawls out, gasping for air, M'Baku realizes that Vision is not whom he seems to be, but is in fact Power Man. With his cover blown, Vision abandons his Power Man disguise and attacks, shattering Swordsman's sword. This is a great flip on the part of Grim Reaper, and it is so totally in character. He is driven to do everything he has done because he blames the Avengers for the death of his brother, Wonder Man, way back in issue number nine. When he realizes there is a part of his brother that is still alive, he takes whatever actions are necessary to save what's left. His mental state has always been on the edge, and this really shows how volatile the character really is. Moments away from achieving his vengeance, he throws it all away because there's a chance to recover a portion of what he lost. Now, speaking of vision, well, what is with Vision and creepy rubber suits? I have to presume that what happened based on the way this comic reads, since Power Man is the one who ends up in the hourglass, that Vision is wearing a Power Man rubber suit. And that's just weird and creepy. The fact that he's able to acquire one quickly or has one available already. Like, I don't I don't keep spare rubber suits of, of people I don't like. That's just weird. So soon, the rest of the Avengers join the fight, admitting that they were playing along the whole time. Black Panther's use of the Prometheus priority informed the Avengers that they were walking into traps, and as such, they were prepared. With the Lethal Legion defeated, Vision stuns the Avengers by announcing his departure from the team. His feelings of alienation and his lack of humanity have finally caught up with him, and Vision decides he must go and find his place in the universe. So I'm not entirely certain that I buy the idea that the Avengers were just playing along to lure the villains into a false sense of security. I'm more inclined to believe that they made the best of an available situation. But at least they knew they were walking into a trap because of the Prometheus priority that Black Panther used. So in Greek mythology, Prometheus, aside from being famous for stealing fire, was known as a trickster. So the idea of using this code for a potential deception probably stems from the story of Prometheus tricking Zeus into taking an offering of bones covered in animal fat, which was done to make it seem more appealing, while at the same time hiding the good meat inside the stomach of an animal so that mankind could keep it. Basically, there were two offerings that were set out, and Zeus was able to decide which one would go to the gods and which one would stay with man. Prometheus made what was in reality a lesser sacrifice seem more appealing by covering it with this animal fat when it turned out to just be the bones and kept all of the good cuts of meat for humans. But he did so by disguising it in this 
stomach, this animal's stomach. So in this way, he deceived Zeus. So I think that's really the story that it's aiming at. I think it's a good use of a mythological reference, especially within the context of the story. It's something that not many villains would get. So I think it functions as an effective code. Now, the big reveal here at the end, obviously, is that Vision announces he's leaving the team, but it's not all that surprising. Almost since his creation, Vision and his teammates have been quietly fixated on the ways in which he lacks humanity. Several events, including his visit to Black Panther School in this issue, have been used to push this idea forward. This feels a lot like when the team drove the Hulk out in the first couple issues of the series, although at least at this time, the team wasn't really doing it intentionally, though the effect was still the same. Now, obviously, the creative team has been pushing these feelings through the team. It's not that the creative team, I think, dislikes Vision. They created Vision. I think they really like Vision, but I think they feel it is a logical place for this story to go, so they're just, they're going there. Overall, this is still a very strong issue, though I would say it's probably not quite as strong as the last one. The art is generally better with both the average pages and the standout points a step above the last issue, but the plot has got a, a lot more filler. Last issue had a really sleek and lean plot that moved very gracefully. In this issue, it's still telling an excellent story, but the plot is slightly more ponderous. There's almost two pages of really dead weight involving vision, putting on a disguise and then going to a high school. The other thing I really love overall about this book is the character development in Umbaku and Grim Reaper is excellent. Both villains are granted additional depth of personality that fits and expands upon what has already been laid out. It helps that both characters were introduced by the same writer who wrote this issue, Roy Thomas, but that is certainly no promise of success when attempting to do something like this. Especially in this era when villains tend to be a little bit goofier, a little bit sillier, and are self-sabotaging for almost no reason, both of these characters feel more real and their actions more justified within their own worldviews, and it's, it's really nice to see that kind of character evolution. You know, Grim Reaper, like I talked about a minute ago, smashing open the hourglass. Yes, it is self-sabotage in some of the most obvious possible ways, but it makes perfect sense based on the character's personality, his reasons for why he does things, his, his overall motivation, and then his specific motivations for why he takes the actions he does. Yes, he, he is self-sabotaging, but it's in order to try and save something that is effectively a higher priority for him. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next episode, we are taking a look at Avengers number 80, The Coming of the Red Wolf. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. <laughs>